You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Bohr and I'm one of your hosts. I'm actually not joined like I usually am today by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. It's uh, an extremely busy time for both of us. Holly's launching her book and all of that. And we actually had recorded an intro for the episode that we were planning on releasing this week and then uh, pivoted and had a conversation after that about Uh, how this episode is releasing on Valentine's Day, and there's been a lot of conversation that we've seen on Twitter, places like that, around singleness and the church, and how how we can interact with that, things like that, like the weirdness, some some of that type of stuff, right? Like maybe how to view that as uh, a little bit differently, or how to effectively minister to single people as opposed to seeing it as this weird kind of, you know, just waiting for marriage or anything like that, right? So we decided uh, that we would re-release an old episode, an old interview, a conversation that we had back in 2019 with uh, our friend Holly Stalkup and Dr. Bella DePaulo. Uh, This conversation was fantastic when we had it. It's hard to believe that it's been uh, over three years since we had it, but it's just as relevant today as it was then. Um, and, and we thought that would be uh, important to re-release this episode, you know, for, for new listeners or folks who might not have heard it or just, you know, if you're like us, haven't listened to it in a while because, you know, a lot has happened in the last three years. So we wanted to re-release this conversation with Holly and Dr. DePaulo. Just a quick note to uh, go and pre-order Holly's book. Uh, we are so excited to have that launching out into the world. Um, and so I'll throw that in the show notes as as usual over the past couple months. But definitely make sure to do that. And uh, I think that's about it. We'll see you back next week with another brand new conversation, one that we had uh, planned on releasing. And it's a fantastic conversation. So I know you'll love that. But for this week, enjoy our conversation from 2019 with Holly Stalkup and Dr. Bella DePaulo. Hey, today we are so excited to be joined by two fantastic guests. First, we are joined by Dr. Bella DePaulo. She is a 60-something-year-old who has always been single and loves her single life, but doesn't love all of the ridiculous assumptions people make when they learn that she's single. She's a social scientist with a PhD in social psychology from Harvard, with her work on this topic and others appearing in publications such as the New York Times, the New Yorker, the Washington Post, Time Magazine, tons more. There have been feature stories in Psychology Today. Uh, She's been on the Today Show and other morning shows, CNN, NPR, uh, as well as being the author of a pretty big number of books, including I have a huge long list here of ones that are about being single, just tons and tons. I won't list them all off because we don't have that kind of time. But Dr. DePaulo, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else about yourself that you'd like to share with the listeners? Um, I have a TED Talk, What No One Ever Told You About People Who Are mm-hmm. And um, I think you covered a lot of the bases there, so thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'll and we'll definitely have a link to all those books that Robert had just mentioned um, in our show notes today, for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. We're also joined by Holly Stallcup. She's the founder and executive director of Rise, a nonprofit committed to connecting and equipping people so that the church would be a place where women thrive. She's a speaker, writer, and event facilitator with a love for visionary work and creating intimate connections. I was skimming through, but you told me to trim it down. So Holly, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm really glad to be here um, and super thankful that you're creating space to talk about the topic of singleness, uh, even in faith circles that seem to see a lot of missing pieces. Often we still don't talk about singleness. So thanks for making room for us. Yeah. And that's a great kind of start to introduction to the topic, right, is singleness. So that was going to be kind of my first question for either of you. But maybe, Bella, why 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 this focus on singleness? Why are these important conversations to be having? Well, the number of people who are single is growing every year. It just keeps going up and up and up to the top, to the place that now there are nearly as many Americans 18 and older who are not married as people who are married. And even those people who do get married eventually are staying single longer and longer. So the age at which people first marry is older than it's ever been. And when people, if people get married and then get divorced, they're waiting longer to get remarried if they remarry at all. So single life is no longer just a step, a waiting space, a time where we mark time waiting to find the one or the next one. It's really how we live a very large proportion of our life. Mm, yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And it's, you know, bringing in that, that research piece about what we're seeing over time with age. Um, I so appreciate that. That's really good. Well, do you, can you tell us, um, let's, let's talk about your TED Talk. So you just mentioned that um, in the intro, like you referenced your TED Talk. And in that, you had said, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I knew I was supposed to get married and I knew I was supposed to want to be married. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Are you talking about your actual desires or more along the lines of uh, how society communicates things to us? Yeah, well, you know, those two get mixed up a lot of the time because the societal messages that everyone wants to marry, everybody is going to marry, eventually are so powerful and so relentless that it's hard to know yourself personally, whether that applies to you. So I never wanted to get married. I mean, I never looked at married couples and went to weddings and thought, oh, I wish that were me. But because it seemed like everybody else around me was all obsessed with, you know, finding the one, and for a long time I just thought, well, maybe I'm just slow in getting there. You know, maybe wanting to marry is like getting bitten by a bug. And I never got bitten, or I haven't gotten bitten yet. So I was just waiting around to see if I'd get bitten. And at some point I realized, no, I'm never going to want to marry. I'm single. I love being single. That's who I am. And once I realized that, you know, everything else fell into place. And then I you know, pursued the study of singleness and writing about singles, doing this blogging for psychology today for over 10 years and writing these books and doing research and really, you know, committing to this as my passion, not only that I live single life, but that I make it clear to everybody else 
that this is an option. If you think this suits you, this is a good, valuable way to live. That's so good. I love that. Well, I actually, I have a follow-up question um, on the TED Talk, too. So in it, you had um, this this graph of individuals' perceived happiness over time and what individuals who were younger when they were single, how happy they thought they would become, you know, or be after they got married. And you have some data to talk a little bit about that level of happiness once someone's married and, and what that looks like for various groups. Do you mind kind of unpacking a little bit of, of of that data and telling oh, us a little sure. bit about what you found. Yeah. I'd love to tell you about that. That's, oh, so I, Holly's a, a researcher as well. So that's, I, I'm chuckling yes. over here that of course she <laughs> gravitated there. Great to hear that. Yes. Yes. It's my heartbeat. I love research. So yeah. So when my colleague Wendy Morris and I asked some young adults um, how happy they thought they would be if they got married and they rated on a rating scale about as happy as they could possibly be. Then we asked them how happy they thought they'd be if they stayed single. And they rated these really low, sad lines. Oh, I'm going to have such a bad life if I'm single. Then we looked at this, the data from a study that's been going on for more than 20 years. It's based on thousands and thousands of people. And what you see is... First of all, the people who are single are, are way happy. They're, they're not anywhere near that sad line that the young adults predicted. And then, when they get married, at first, they get a little bit happier. But then they go back to being as happy or as unhappy as they were when they were single. So marriage didn't make them happy. It just gave them this little blip of happiness right around the first year of marriage, you know, the honeymoon, the big wedding. And even that little example of a bit of increased happiness only occurred for the people who got married and stayed married. The people who would have divorce were already getting a little bit less happy as the day of their wedding approached. Hmm. Yeah. So I guess what that points to is this perception of how that will play out, how marriage impacts our happiness is obviously much bigger than what it would actually be. Yeah, we kind of think it's going to be like the movies, you know, you meet this person, you meet cute, and you overcome obstacles, and then you live happily ever after. But no, that's not the way it goes. And you end, if the people who are single don't even suffer in happiness, the people who get married end up no happier than they were when they were single. Yeah. So, Holly, I want to ask you, because I know that you're kind of bringing some of this like within church communities, within ministry settings, right? Would you say that, Holly Stalkup, obviously, that those types of things are, are reinforced in a similar way or stronger or less or what in those types of scenarios, settings? Yeah, so I have only grown up in Southern church culture, which is a whole nother level of kind of the... Uh, perfect life means that you're going to not kiss anyone till college and then you'll kiss someone your freshman year during orientation and then by the spring of your senior year you'll be planning your wedding and then a few years later you'll have two kids and a dog and um, and everything will will turn out <laughs> great and um, uh, when you asked me let me know that Bella was going to be on this podcast with me Bella I have your book singleism sits on my um, on my desk 
and oh, I love them. Thank you. Uh, so influential for me. So I was like, um, yes, you should just talk to her. She's all the info. Bella's obviously been living single for, for several more decades than I have. And one of the reasons that I think having both of us on is so important is we are such a reminder that being single is not a monolith, um, which is a huge problem, I think, in particular in the church, is the mm-hmm. assumption that all single folks are um, the same, mm-hmm. um, want the same things, need the same things, mm-hmm. um, and are cookie cutter. So Bella doesn't have any interest in getting married. I think of my friend Jenna DeWitt, who works for Christianity Today, and she is just an incredible voice for the single community. That's a great balance for me because I still deeply desire marriage and hope that that is what is coming for me. Um, But Jenna is a constant reminder for me um, of someone who is planning her life with no intention of getting married. Um, And she brings a completely different voice to the table. And so, yeah, I think church culture at large makes the assumption that singleness is a stepping stone and Mm -hmm. that if we see it any more than that, then that somehow devalues marriage, right? That's our concern is that were we to lift up singleness, as a valid continual life state that we would somehow be saying that marriage or family um, are important Hmm. to society or God. Um, Of course, I find this ridiculous if only for the fact that the Savior we follow, Jesus, is single. So I find it to be very confusing that we've gotten lost in that message. Yeah, Hmm. and I think it's actually just the opposite. If single life is valued, then the people who want to marry will be going in that direction from a position of strength as something they actually want and won't be running away from singlehood as something they're scared of or don't want to be stigmatized by. Hmm. Yeah. And let me say something else about religion, if I may. Over the many years that I've been studying single people and hearing from them, one of the complaints... I hear most often is that single people across religions are very disappointed that they often feel like they don't have a place in their churches. Mm. They feel like they aren't valued. Or if there's something, some group or some uh, reach outreach to single people, it's only for the purpose of trying to get them married. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and this is going on for years. In fact, I started a, a series on my Psychology Today blog of, of single people in different religions. Are your, your religious places open and welcoming to you? And mostly um, recruited guest bloggers to write about that so, so they right. can talk about it from different perspectives. That seems like such a shame minefield for me in thinking about that and the ways in which, you know, if, if religious organizations are only focusing on that, like there, there is this communicated message of almost as though you are not enough as, mm-hmm. as you are and how yeah. painful that can be. Right. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. So Bella, I'm not probably supposed to ask questions. I'm the guest, but Go for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> So, Bella, you would say that you there's kind of across the board, no matter if you're looking at Christian culture or Islamic culture or Jewish culture, that kind of religion in general is not a particularly comfortable place to be single. 
I think that's generally true, and I hope that over time that will change. I would like to think that it, it almost has to, as the number of single people keeps growing, mm. and the amount of time that people spend single in their lives keeps growing. That um, you know, would would churches really want to alienate that many people in their or that <laughs> you know potential followers? Yeah. So instead of thinking about being single as maybe like a negative, right? Like there's something wrong with me because everybody else is getting married. In a lot of your work, you talk about some of like the positive aspects of being single, right? Can you talk about some of those, like the strengths or the opportunities or, or things I, like that? Yes. In fact, um, you know, people think that single people are miserable and lonely and, and don't have any friends. But in fact, the research based on national uh surveys show that single people are actually more likely to be there for their friends, their siblings, their parents, their neighbors. They stay in touch more. They uh, exchange more help. They are there for them. And of course, when our parents are aging and really need our help, it's the single people more so than the coupled kids who are the, likely to be there for them. So that's one thing that single people are, on the average, more connected to other people. Um, they also tend to be uh, very value, very much valuing their solitude. So rather than seeing alone time as something that's scary and makes them feel lonely and miserable, they often savor that time. They find that it's good for reflection, for creativity, for relaxation, for spirituality. So there's a lot to that. And single people often use their single years, whether they're going to stay single or not, to do things that are meaningful to them, to do some project that they really care about or to pursue something that really matters to them. Um, and so rather than li living a limited, small life in a little box, they often live big, expansive lives. Yeah. And I think for me, that brings up, taking it back specifically to a Christian faith context, is the idea often set up in churches without uh, any intention is that married folks are to disciple single folks, right? That mm -hmm. because we assume that everyone's eventually going to get married, it mm -hmm. simply makes sense that the, the people quote unquote farther along in the journey, even what? if they're 20 years younger than single yeah. folks, uh, they've got the knowledge to bring to the table, right? But yeah. what Bella's research shows us is that when it comes to caring for the elderly, when it comes to being involved in the community, um, when it comes to being a consistent, dependable, relatable friend, like single yes. folks are the people that should be preaching and teaching the classes mm. because yeah. often out of, especially I think for younger single Christians who weren't planning on being single, we've most of the time been forced into those things, right? Like dragged yeah. along into Things like, I think single folks are better at asking for help because we've had to. We haven't had that that partner right beside us, right? And then in turn, I think we can be more aware of seeing other people's needs um, because we want people to see our needs. And yeah. so that to me is what's so important. The reason that we have to reframe singleness as an asset is because until we do, we're not going to see the value of single people leading not only single people, 
yeah. but single people leading married people. That is a mm. great point. And it reminds me of something else that I've seen in the research that studies people who stay single over a period of years and people who stay married during that time. The single people experience more personal growth and development. And so it's another example of the ways in which single people are actually taking the lead rather than being the ones who need to be taught. That is mm. so good. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would love, I don't know that there are any numbers. If anyone had them, Bella, I'm sure it would be you. But I would love to look at the number of people in their 20s who have gone to therapy. And I would guess that the numbers are astronomically higher for single folks who have gone to therapy versus married folks. Because I know so many single women who have said, like, I wouldn't be in therapy if I had gotten married um, mm. because I wouldn't have taken the time to look at these things and work on myself. Um, and again, when you have that solitude, when you have those quiet nights at home, I think it forces you um, to wrestle not better than marriage does, right? I hate the competition between marriage and singleness. Like marriage, you've probably been in marriage therapy <laughs> with your husband, <laughs> but you haven't maybe had the chance to do that inner work um, that singleness kind of forces you to do. And so again, in the church, we love to frame marriage as the sanctifying tool. That is how you're going to be more like Jesus. That is how you're going to draw closer yeah, to God. Though- even though that's not how he lived, right? <laughs> right, right. Right, yeah. It is so backwards. And so, mm-hmm. again, I, I don't think Bella's heart or my heart with any kind of research or, or stories is to say that, like, well, singleness makes you happier. Singleness makes you better. It's just rather that there's been such a disproportionate focus on how great marriage is that we need to bring the asset of singleness to the forefront. Yes, absolutely. And I don't know the specific answer to your question about therapy, but I I do think it's important for single people to find the therapist who isn't going to stigmatize them for being single Mm -hmm. and is open to whatever it is that they they want in their lives. And I think the, the one downside of single people going into therapy is if they're doing it because they think there's something wrong with them that needs to be fixed. But otherwise, going into therapy to, you know, explore your issues and do better in life, of course, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Well, and hopefully at that point, the therapist would challenge kind of that narrative, that like assumption, right, of there's something wrong Mm -hmm. with me because I'm not married. We would hope. Yes, we hope so. But unfortunately, not all therapists are that um, open-minded. So it's important to find the right person. Yeah, for sure. No, that's a really good point. So one of the things that I'm really curious to hear about from from the both of you, actually, is better understanding what are the unique needs that those who identify or who are single, what what is it that they have? What are those unique needs that they have? And um, what is it that their surrounding communities can do um, to support them? Or what would it take for our communities to have those spaces that, that really or resources or supports or or whatever it is? to walk alongside and serve, well, not, not just serve, but, but be in community with those who are single. Like, what are the needs and, and what supports, you know? Sure. Um, well, one of the things is that so many social events are described as or organized by couples or families. You know, these tickets cost uh, $100 per couple. It's like, well, does that mean I can't come if I'm single? Does it mean I have to pay more per person? So that's one thing. Another is to include single people in a positive way and not a pity, you know, you poor thing. Um, there's another whole category of 
of needs that single people have around medical issues. So, for example, sometimes when, when there's a procedure that people need to have done in a hospital or outpatient facility, there's a demand that they find someone to take them, drive them, stay there, and take them back. And it can't be an Uber or a taxi. And, you know, that is, that is kind of based on the assumption that everybody is part of a couple where, you know, both people, one of them can stay home from work and take the other one and be there. So there's a whole series of assumptions around the way that health care is delivered or not delivered or made accessible to people who are single. So that's another example. Others are uh, pricing, you know, so often memberships, deals with travel or just so many things are based on a couple. And if you're a couple, that, like I was saying before, maybe you pay $100 for both of you to go to, to the theater, but if you're a single person, you pay $60 worth. Well, that's a way in which single people are subsidizing couples by paying more than their share. And it's even more significant in, you know, things like health care if you pay more per person if you're single or... So there's just a whole array of ways in which single people are asked to pay more per person than couples, even though they are less able to do so. If they're living alone, and even if they're not sometimes, they have only their income to go by, so they can't fall back on the income of a spouse. Hmm. Yeah, and, and the church is definitely guilty of this. Uh, it's a very normalized practice for church conferences to do $60 per couple or $40 a person, you yeah. know. And I'm kind of the challenger who always tries to find a single friend and we're going to buy our tickets together because <laughs> you're not charging me more. Um, but a, lo a lot of singles... A lot of singles aren't going to feel empowered to kind of buck the system. And so one of the things that I'm really passionate about, number one, is that we have to see this as a justice issue, right? Mm -hmm. Like this, the, the things that Bella is describing, the things that her research has revealed, like that is an injustice. Like that is yes. not okay. That is the marginalization of single people. And mm -hmm. the other thing is for married folks to see their privilege. And I think there is no place they're more privileged than in the church because of the way the church has lifted up marriage. Yeah. So if you're a married person in the church and you see your conference for the summer and it has those stupid couples pricing. Yeah. If I go, I look like the fussy, whiny single person. Uh -huh. But if you as a married couple go and say, this is not right. Yes. We're not okay with this. You use your privilege and your power for the sake of single folks. Again, not because you feel sorry for us, which is how almost anything, and Holly, I was really proud of you. You caught yourself in the way you phrased your question about how can we serve single folks? Oh, wait, how can we be in community with them, right? Because right. we've been inundated for decades in the church with this idea that because uh, singleness means uh, you're not there yet, it means you're less holy, it most likely means you're younger, right? There's an assumption that when we talk about serving single folks, we're talking about like the college kids, right? Mm. But 
you know, I think about my friend James Alfonso, who could be a mentor at this point to, to uh, people in their 30s, right? And so she's the single that we're talking about. And what she needs is completely different than what a kid that's 22 needs. And both of their needs are important. And so I think a lot of this is just becoming aware of the cultural norms that we've just embraced. Um, and then the, the last thing I'll add is just that, like, none of this gets solved until our leadership becomes diverse. Um, and so in particular, the church is the area that I work in. So yes. you can be so excited after you listen to this podcast about how we're going to do a better job with singles. But if your elder board, if, and, and a lot of times it's a requirement on an elder board to be married because we've taken scripture out of context, right? So like, you have to have a leadership team where single folks are sitting in the finance meetings, sitting in the preaching schedule meetings, sitting yes. in all those meetings and helping you see your blind spots. Yes. Because I think the large majority of married people are not trying to be jerks. I just really have a deep belief that most of you are decent humans. But you, especially if you didn't live single for very long, you're just not going to see those gaps. Um, we're entering into February, the church's favorite season to do a relationship series. Mm. And I don't have any problem with doing a relationship series. I have a problem with the idea that married folks are worthy of four whole sermons a year and that single folks haven't gotten a sermon in four years. Mm -hmm. um, and again, That's I don't good. think a bunch of married pastors are trying to be rude or mean <laughs> or unbiblical. I just think they got married right out of seminary and they've never thought twice about it. So, And it's also a very narrow way of thinking about relationships. When I think about relationships, I think of it as a big, broad, loving word that encompasses relationships with my friends, my family, my mentors, all the people in my life who are important to me. I agree. I wholly agree. And y'all, so our listeners, they can't see, but I was like just so excited hearing, um, you know, as, as Holly was mentioning before about that need for diversity. I mean, my, the social worker in me is coming out right now, but how important it is that we have diverse voices at the table so that we can humbly recognize those blind spots to be in community well with one another. So I just, the both of you, thank you. So I know, Bella, you talk a lot about embracing the single life instead of kind of spending that time, like we've talked about, longing or looking for the future or, you know, thinking like, oh, I'm supposed to be preparing for something. So what does it look like for folks who are single, whether that is they only want to be single or they aren't married yet, but they have that desire, or maybe they're divorced and widowed. We had a Patreon supporter who wanted to make sure we asked about some of those. But what does it look like to embrace that life instead of kind of treating it as this like, well, I'm just here until I'm not type thing? I think it means to think about what really matters to you. Think about how you want to live your life what it is that you want to do, what it is that you care about, and live that, live out those values. And don't think of yourself in terms of marking time, waiting to get married, if you're among the single people who do want that. But just live your life completely, joyfully, fully, according to the values that matter to you. That's so good. Well, thank you, Dr. DePaulo, so much for being here with us today. Do you have any closing words for our guests? I'm going to, at the end, we'll do a wrap up with all the ways to connect with you, but any closing words for our audience before you hop off today? 
Um, I would like to go back to what one of the Hollies was mentioning about how it's not just a personal thing. This is a social justice issue. And one of the reasons why I do so much writing and speaking and talking about all of these issues is to make it clear that this is something at a higher level. This is something about single people in general. And we as a society need to be more aware of these issues. So the onus is not on any one individual single person to say, this isn't fair. But instead, it should be something that's widely recognized what kinds of practices are fair and unfair. So the single person doesn't have to take on the burden of making the case and getting called whiny or bitter, all those stereotypes that are so hurtful. So um, thank you to that, Holly, for making that point. That's awesome. Um, Holly, do you have any closing thoughts for our guests today as well? Yeah, I think that... um one of the important things that you're doing on this podcast is talking about the intersection of church and faith and mental health. And I don't think that we can understate that mental health as a single person is a unique experience, right? Like that having depression as a single person and having depression as a married person comes with unique concerns and unique things that you have to navigate. And I don't know, in general, we're just now starting to make progress in the church talking about mental health in general. Um, and often those conversations are being led by married folks. And so there's an assumption that there's going to be someone there in the middle of the night. There's an assumption. One of the examples I give is that you know, it's become a self-care practice to not sleep with your phone in your bedroom. And all my married friends are the people that have that privilege, right? Because if they need something in the middle of the night, they'll just roll over and tap their spouse. And again, none of my married friends are not, they're not trying to ignore my mental health needs. They're not trying to not be present, but their assumption is that I'll have someone, right? I'll have someone if I'm having a hard day. I'll have someone if I have an anxiety attack in the middle of the night, where really what it looks like to be in community with single folks is to ask them, hey, what is your world like, especially if you're struggling with your mental health? And how can we set up support systems? And it doesn't just have to be on one married person, right? I have a network of married friends who are present in the ways that they can be present as I've wrestled through depression and anxiety. And so I think that's something important to talk about is that um, having a mental health conversation is great in the church, but we need to look at, for example, your Patreon listener, someone who's widowed or divorced and the mental health crisis that can come in that and the support they need if they have children looks completely different than the support I would need in my early 20s. Um, and so, again, not painting singles as a monolith. Um, is really key to loving single people and being in community with them. Hmm. That's so good. Hey, if you want to connect with Dr. Bella DePaulo, you can find her at belladepaulo.com, on Twitter at belladepaulo, on facebook.com uh, slash bella.depaulo, or you can read her blogs Living Single at Psychology Today or Single at Heart at Psych Central, or you can buy any of her books on Amazon. If you want to connect with Holly Stallcup, you can find her on Twitter at Holly Stallcup, or learn more about her at the website nowsherises.org. That's her organization. If you want to connect with Holly, you can find her at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter at hollyoxhandler. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at Robert Vore. That's so long whenever we have more than one person. 
<laughs> thank you both so it. much for joining us today yes, and talking to us about it. It's such a good conversation. Thanks for including me. Yes, yeah. thank, thank you. Thank you for y'all. having me. Of course. Have a good day, y'all. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH podcast at gmail.com.